Welcome to Little Atoms on Resonance 104.4 FM, a live talk show based around ideas of the Enlightenment. Little Atoms is presented by Neil Denny, Padraig Reedy, Richard Saunderson, and Rebecca Watson, as well as regular mystery guest presenters. Little Atoms makes no claims to balance. We actively promote science, freedom of expression, skepticism, and secular humanism. This means we can often end up talking about superstition, religious fundamentalism, censorship, and conspiracy theory. Our guests bring ideas that are challenging, sometimes controversial, often polemical, but always interesting. I'm Rebecca Watson, and I'm here with my co-host, Neil Denny. Neil, why don't you introduce our guest today? Our guest tonight is Robin Inns. Robin Inns is a comedian and a writer. For the last two years, he's been the host of Nine Lessons in Carols for Godless People. His Radio 4 show with Brian Cox, The Infinite Monkey Cage, has just finished its second series. And Robin's recently written a book, Robin Inns' Bad Book Club, which we'll be talking about tonight and which casts a critical eye over such things as Don Estelle's autobiography, tales of giant killer crabs, and romance novels set in the Antarctic. Robin, thank you for joining us tonight. I'm very impressed by this entire environment. Uh, it's been a long time since I've actually been in a residence um, studio, and this is the first time that it's not just someone's back room in a flat with some broken children's bicycles So you were familiar with uh, the Denmark Street environment, I was familiar yes. with Denmark Street, and do you know what? The lack of broken children's bicycles, I think, may well take something away from the edge that this station once had. <laughs> we could get one of those in for next month, yeah. I think, next week. But don't just yeah. push a child off a bicycle and then take it and bring it here. I, know, I, know, no I wouldn't other want way. cruelty... In your theft. There should also be a bucket catching a drip. There was always a, there was always a leak mm. somewhere in the old studio. So anyway, so we're going to be talking about Robin Inns' Bad Book Club. We don't so, have to. We can talk about other things as well. I'd, I'd, I'd hate to merely be uh, plugging my, uh, my shoddy work. That is the idea. So let's do that for a bit. I don't know <laughs> much we'll more about on. broken children's bicycles, but <laughs> if you want to just run with that. Let's talk about how you first got fascinated by buying cheap books from charity shops. Well, the, the, I suppose the full story of it is really, when I was growing up, I was, uh, from about the age of seven or eight, I was going to children's, uh, going to just normal book fairs. Just to, I, I went with my dad to these village halls where various booksellers would come, and I was always intrigued by books and, and fascinated by bizarre covers. And in fact, some of the books you gave me today, very kindly, such as Our Mysterious Spaceship Moon, non-fiction, I should make that clear. I used to love those books, books about by Charles Burlitz about the Bermuda Triangle and its secret. If you turn that book over, you will find that that book is more remarkable than the book about the Bermuda Triangle. It says on the back. Oh, wow, I didn't look at that. Yeah, more startling than Chariots of the Gods, which means more lies. Uh, and I think we can technically say that. I don't think we need to worry of any slander or libel there. Uh, more amazing than the Bermuda Triangle. And I, I used to love those books. And then I got older and uh, at the Unexplained magazine. I, I don't know if it folded, but it, it was no longer around. And then about, oh God, it must be 20 years later, I was in a Notting Hill bookshop and I... 
I just I saw this book called The Stag Movie Review, which was a review of about 100 different stag movies. And for those who don't know what stag movies were, they were specifically made for stag nights, for men's nights. They were a one-reel film that they'd stick into their projector in which, you know, one man and one woman, three men and five women, two sailors and, you know, someone who we were uncertain because of the camera angle of what they were and, indeed, one book about a woman and a boxer dog. That's from the film The Beauty and the Boxer. And I just opened this book and it was so ridiculous. It had seven or eight pages on the plot. I mean, this is a 20-minute film of some people having sex. But this guy had decided that he would have to talk about they were both wearing open-neck shirts, she was dressed in a light cream miniskirt, while he was wearing beige slacks. The shoes they were wearing looked comfortable. I mean, it's that kind of detail. And you, all of these different... And, and finding different words for genitals, because after a while there's so many different ways you can say, at this point his sword entered her cave, etc. And then, even after the eight pages of, of plot description, he then had a critique. And his critique, my favourite one, was from uh, the film Come Clean, in which it said, the room where this was filmed was rather well furnished. The television set is English. And this is the critique. because it, And I just thought, oh, and that night I had a gig, I had a stand-up gig, and I thought, I'm going to read from this book. It just, I've never seen anything that was so odd. And uh, I read from that. And then I started doing a movie night at the Prince Charles Cinema um, just off Leicester Square and I, I would each week read from... We had a mixture of th- reading from strange film books, showing odd films and also had a competition for the uh, most bizarre 1970s advert that was in cinemas and one that always won was one for... It wasn't nylon, what was it called? It was a, it was a man-made fibre and it wasn't polyester. It was, it was like polyester. It was something like, yeah, yeah and, and, and it was uh, Moves With You and it was this really avant-garde advert with a man with a big handlebar moustache where when he pulled the Venetian blind rather than him disappearing, that was when his head would appear. Uh, so we were doing the, and, and I started to, after having found this one book and thinking there will only ever be one like this, I just found when I was touring, I would often be in a help the aged in Aberdeen and go, this looks odd as well and this looks intriguing. And then I kind of moved more into the mainstream by looking into the world of Mills and Boone. So the, before we get to Mills and Boone, the book that's sort of like, really, I suppose, the holy grail of your, of your book is a book called How to Pick Up Sexy Girls. Mm. The Secrets of well, Picking Up Sexy Girls, which share, is... Share some of that knowledge with us. Well, it, it was... Someone took the book, and I, it, I lost it last year. Last year, in between doing the Witchwood Music Festival and the Hay Philosophy Festival, at some point in that weekend that I was doing those two, the book disappeared. And I still say it was either Miles Hunt from The Wonder Stuff or it was A.C. Grayling. And A.C. Grayling obviously needed a book which told you how to take off sexy girls' clothes. I mean, no, I mean, have you seen A.C.'s hair? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, AC I'm not saying he looks tips. fabulous and yeah. that he's not a magnet, but what I'm saying is there are rumours on the philosophy underground which suggest that sometimes when it gets to clothing, he's a fumbler. And so The Secrets of Picking Up Sexy Girls has within it literally every kind of clothes. It, this is chapter about eight by now. Uh, it, it, the, chapter one is uh, it's quite simply titled, What is a Girl? And then it goes, and it has a fantastic breakdown chart of saying the girls you should be interested in because they are sexy and those that aren't sexy. So, zero to 16 years old, we are not interested. For mainly legal reasons. Mm. That's the great thing. He should have just left it, we're not interested. 
for legal reasons. Oh! Uh, then 18 to 24, particularly interested. 24 to 36, uh, it turns out uh, older women may know more than you imagine. Mm. And then once it gets to OAPs, it just says, we are not interested at all. And later on in that chapter, it reveals that w- when uh, referring to lesbians, you can consider to merely use the notes on OAPs. So it's filled with, and that's just in chapter one. And then you get on how to take off cardigans, where to, you know, get off with your sexy girl, which is uh, things like railway sidings, uh, advantages that it's quiet, disadvantages it may well be cold and possibly rusty. Um, And so this was, I think, the weirdest book ever found, and to lose it. And then I went on a search to think, I need another copy somewhere. I mean, I I was doing things, I did the Daphne du Maurier Festival before someone took it, and playing to a predominantly octogenarian audience. and all these women afterwards go, oh, we've never had that book in our um, uh, Oxfam in Truro. It sounds excellent. There was a curtain uh, designer who came up to me. She said, please, could you? is there any way you could photocopy me every page? All of these things. And I still feel bad that I didn't do that, but I didn't do it because someone stole it. And then I, I was doing this search thing. I must find it somewhere on the internet or eBay or whatever. Someone will be selling this. No, the only evidence of its existence is in things about me or by me. Which wow. makes it one of those great kind of horror novels, really, which is H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. This is my H.P. Lovecraft, that my secret book does not involve demons. It merely involves is the secrets of picking up sexy girls. Yeah, so the man grew mad. He knew it had existed. Sometimes under the floorboards he would hear the sound of sexy girls and think to pull up the floorboards and see the sexy girls within. But I must not do that, for I will not know how to take off their cardigan because I've lost the instruction guide. If we take a purely scientific view, this is this a book it exists entirely in your imagination, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, that appears. People have seen it. Oh, yes, I have told people have, people have it, seen yes, it. Yes, okay, and, and somewhere, and you know what? I go back and I try and find the people who've seen it, and they've and they moved. Don't exist. They they never there. And sometimes they say, "Oh, well, that theater burnt down in 1832," but it didn't. I played there. But somewhere, somewhere, AC Grayling is deftly removing a bra with one hand and snickering quietly to in himself. In a railway side. Yeah, don't worry. Don't, oh, yes. <laughs> oh no, I forgot to read chapter one. This isn't a girl at all. Stupid A.C. Grayling skipping the most important chapter. I would like to take this moment to remind A.C. Grayling that he supports the reform of libel laws here in England. An excellent idea. It would be a good libel case, though, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, I would Come attend. Come on. And also be, the best the opportunity the for me to trial, actually definitely. get a copy of The Six Pick Up Sexy Girls. <laughs> so that is... There are a couple of barristers that are bound to know where that is. Let's move on then to your, um, your fascination with um, the Mills and Boone genre. Mm. Of romances. And as I mentioned in the introduction, um, you're particularly fascinated with Mills and Boone that take place in the Antarctic. Well, to be fair, it's generally any of them which take place involving explorers. Okay. So you are obviously talking about Dane Ransom Mm. from Frozen Heart, but I would also say to you Where the Wolf Leads with Dracon Le Loup Blanc. Uh, the White is, Wolf. He is, yeah, he is a hot-headed French explorer, whereas Dane Ransom is a cold-hearted Arctic explorer. So I, I've, I, I was in a holiday cottage in Cornwall, and I saw this book called Stormy Vigil, and the, it was one of those. There was not a great selection in, in in the cottage books, and I just flicked it open this this book, and I just really enjoyed Mills and Boone. It, it's it is an art. It is a kind of Andy Warhol art form. It is you know they are a factory of love and of romance, and they know exactly you know everything is the same in each one. At, at chapter four, this is will be that turning point. At chapter seven, that's when love will finally be found. At you know chapter one, that's when we find out that she's lonely. She's a city girl. She lives in the city. She's having a great time. So loads of people are mixed with the city. She's got to move to the countryside. Men are different there. She doesn't like the countryside. She's pretty angry. Oh no, here comes the anger. 
angry farmer. Ah, we're never going to get on. I know what you city girls are like. Oh, she didn't like his ruthlessness. By, by chapter four, though, she's seen him. He's hot, he's sweaty, he's picking up some kind of lamb or dog. And something inside her is stirring. Then chapter five, he seems kind. But by chapter six, he seems unkind again. All of these things... <laughs> We know where they all end. You know, yeah. the great thing about Mills and Boone is they never do, as she, as she placed the soil on his forehead and patted it down, she thought, another will die soon. They don't generally end like that. There are another series, which I forget the name of now, which I don't think I mentioned in the book, which are very moral books. Uh, so there's one, uh, a Western that I read, where he foolishly goes to town and has, uh, you know, goes to the the big house in the town, and uh, he gets venereal disease. And then she still loves him, but fortunately he's bitten by a snake and dies. And she realises that in heaven he won't have venereal disease. <clears throat> so I love those kind of, you know... Well, we, we'll, we'll jump straight then, now you've raised that, to the, um, to the horror novels then, because that is mm. a theme that runs through the horror novels. Venereal that people, disease? No, that people that have sex early I should on in the say, book will we might mention Killer animals. Crabs books, and I yes. was down in Whitstable yesterday, and I was told there that the crabs have herpes. Wait, are we talking? What kind of crabs are we talking about? These aren't giant. No, it's oysters. oysters sorry, it's, it's the oysters. oysters. It's, it's the, the oysters they've got yeah, herpes, yeah, which oysters. is far worse. Yeah. Oy- because oh. though um, I was you can like still eat oysters crabs. that have herpes, mm. but if you eat too many of them and you're on your own, you're going to end up, aren't you? Thinking, what else have I got here that I can use? This is true. I've got one oyster left. How do you explain that? It's normal. Okay. So anyway, back to the killer, uh, killer crabs. crabs books. No, let's talk more about the oysters with the herpes. The, yeah. I'm enjoying this. It feels very much like a, a Little Atoms uh, subject, I yeah. think. The, uh, so, so much more scientific than giant killer crabs novels. <laughs> um, no, I do. I, I love uh, Crabs on the Rampage, uh, Killer Crabs, The Origin of Crabs. And they're all by this guy called Guy and Smith. Uh, and he wrote them between uh, the first five, about nineteen, I think, from about nineteen seventy six to nineteen eighty two, and he really came. It basically, at this point, there was a real love in Britain of what was seen as kind of nasty horror. This was before the video nasties, but there were these authors. James Herbert, I suppose, really kicked it off with novels like The Rats. And um, the Crabs is, is, I had this whole series of different horror books, all of which say, in the tradition of the Rats, you're going to get the same thing. Don't worry, someone is going to have sex and have their genitals eaten off by something. Or snapped off by something and there'll be a rugged adventurer and things will come out of the sea and um, what's nice is since the book came out Guy Ann Smith has written me a letter and he is very happy about the fact that his website is extremely busy at the moment I believe he's hoping that the may well he, he does actually still all of the books are still available via his website and uh, I, I think he's hoping that some of them may well come back in, into print Fantastic. properly full on but, I have read I, I have, I'm not sure which one it is as you said it's about five and the only thing I can I can't remember anything, although you, the vague things I can remember that there was like a sort of pipe smoking hero or something. Cliff Davenport does run through yes. the series, obviously. but the only thing I can remember about it is that it was set in Shell Island in Wales, which is a place that I used to go to. None of these things help. Was, they are all was... pretty much set in Shell Island. Cliff mm. Davenport is uh, he doesn't always have the same number of hands due to what happens in one of the novels. <gasps> Don't give but, that away. Uh, I'm not going oh. because that would be really difficult to work out loss. what might happen. It, but it will help you when you buy it. If you want to buy them in the right order, go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so when, as he's, his when one good when hand one was, hands oh, hang on. Been snipped off. <laughs> I'll never understand the narrative arc if I start halfway through the series. He grasped it with both his hooks. Oh, yeah. too far, too far. It is a great, they are great fun to read, though. I mean, he, he knows. In ter- I mean, I presume they're predominantly meant for teenagers and uh, husbands who've fallen out of love with their wife and just, you know, spend a lot of time on, on common ground near their house. And uh, But they, they have this fantastic, I mean, they're kind of chutzpah and adrenaline 
of of the adventures, uh, and I always uh, I hadn't noticed the repetition as well. There's a fan, you know, that I think I mentioned in the pub before we did the show. Where at one point it'll be crabs the size of beach donkeys, and then <laughs> the next one it'll be crabs the size of cows, and they're great, and they're always the size of say. And then it's got and politically it's very interesting because you will find I will warn you what I'm going to say now may well uh, I, this is merely talking about how context changes and actually the words that we use. I was reading aloud from one at the Latitude Festival a couple of weeks ago. We were doing a, a, a musical with myself and, and Robin Hitchcock and various saw players and, and violin players and Josie Long and Swanee Whistle and. Um, I suddenly got to this bit where I thought, should I read this or not? Because it's a, it's a couple talking about the fact that their son was killed. And they go, basically say, this is a, a, a paraphrase, but basically, oh, well, I suppose he was a Mongol and he wouldn't have lived long. And I found that really interesting that uh, in, in the same way that in Cliff Richard's book where he talks about dancing with someone who's a spastic. And, of course, it doesn't mean, you know, now if you say that in the modern day, people go, oh, Paul, but at the time in the, in the 1970s when Cliff Richard wrote that and when, when uh, Guy and Smith was writing uh, that bit there, Bring Up Down Syndrome, it, it's a, that's what makes me very, the fascination of these old books even more to me is... They are a history. They are within them. There is a little social history, a history of language, well, and every now and again you forget that maybe the world hopefully has advanced. You know, whatever well, yeah, A. A. Gill. There are, you saying. know, people did used to be, you know, the euthanasia and all of that sort of thing, and 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 there was that whole movement about, you know, feeding people with disabilities to giant mutated animals. You know, that was. You know, that it was, was a very different movement there. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to point out that you've spent a lot of time here tonight defending and praising these books. So I'm going to bring it to the place I think all discussions of cult and camp classics goes. Um, is this the bad book club or is this the so bad it's good book club? Well, I I have a thing which, again, I don't know if I mentioned the book, where I, I should say as well that right at the beginning on the first page, as far as I remember, I do say I do not consider these books to be bad. I consider them to be different. Uh, and and I wouldn't... I, the publisher wanted to call it Bad Book Club. I, I personally wouldn't have wanted to call that. I, I wanted it to highlight kind of lost treasures. That, and I don't think... Obviously, you shouldn't read this book and then just read this kind of book. I, but what I prefer, my, my, my kind of the, the law that I have is I like reading great books and fascinating books, and I like reading, you know, if you great philosophers and and, and beautiful books. But then, if I'm going to read something that uh, you know a, a cheaper novel, I want to go a long way down. I don't want to go to the airport fiction. Oh well, this is well written. This is a polite plot. What a polite thriller! I want to, and and it's a thing John Waters said, the fantastic um, uh, Baltimore filmmaker, who said you, know, you should have the high brow and the low brow. Don't bother with the middle brow. The middle brow is very dull. It's just there. Here's our product, and I find that you know with movies, it is very much the same thing. I love. Terrible films that are on the something weird video label, and I like watching Ingmar Bergman. But do you know what? One of those nice thrillers with John Cusack, and I'm not talking about John Cusack's done some good films, but sometimes he does his nice Hollywood film. Here's a product. Here's a nice romance product. You know, do I should I see Bride Wars or not? I don't know whether it's like even things like Avatar. You know, have you seen Avatar? No. Someone did it better in the 1950s, probably, and they the things were made of polystyrene, and there wasn't the same you know level of technology. But I, I don't need to see that. And it had killer slugs in, probably. Well, if we we're not going to move on to the work of Sean Hudson, because I don't don't bring that up. That's but yes, slugs, about... which is what the film's called and the book's called <laughs> slugs. That's what I like. I like the immediacy of it. What's this going to be about? Slugs? Is it in the tradition? Obviously, in the tradition of the rats. Yes. 
I want to take us back though. You you, you brought up um, Cliff Richard, and let's talk about some of the, you know, the bizarre pathos of seventies celebrity autobiographies, which you, mm. there's, a, there's a whole chapter on. And the um, well, tell us that the Cliff Richard part starts with this incredible question that he asks. He starts off by saying, "To this day, I still can't be certain." whether monkeys swim underwater. And there is, you can... Na- na- but then again, to be fair to him, this was before the internet before when he was writing internet, which sure. ones could well, It didn't take me that long to do a search and find out which monkeys did. Uh, Cliff's obviously isn't a, a very negative... Uh, it does have quite a lot of self-aggrandising, which is very entertaining. Everyone told me I shouldn't do the enormous, enormous place. I felt they were probably right. I mean, would people really come to the enormous, enormous place? And could a show even work in an enormous, enormous place? I thought probably not. Well, it did, and it was already sold out, and everyone thought I was smashing. Uh, it was very much like Paul Daniels' autobiography, which I don't mention because I couldn't find my copy of that. Paul Daniels' autobiography is fantastic for going... Everyone went on, and then many of them were my good friends. They all had the most awful time. I've never seen an audience get so angry. Two of the three degrees were placed in a pot and killed. How would I fare with these kind of people? I'd also heard they hated magicians. Well, I ended up getting freedom of the city, and everyone <laughs> said I was best. Uh, but there are, there are unfortunately some books. A very, I mean, actually, Donna Stell's book, Donna Stell, who was a, uh, an actor in It Ain't Half Hot Mum and a singer, and he wrote, he wrote his own book. That's the thing that I love about a lot of these books, is they are actually written by the authors. They are not, there's no ghostwriter. But there is a real melancholy uh, comes across as being someone who was very big in the 70s and well-known and, you know, d- had a number one, as far as I remember, it's a number one hit single. And then it goes. And this this book was written when his fame had, had gone and he was standing in shopping centres selling his tapes of his him singing. And there is a real... I mean, I, I deliberately, I hope in the book, I've avoided being overall sneering because I don't want to sneer it would be very oh look at that person he was famous now he's lost it all ha ha and and I've tried to look at what his book tells you about how fickle fame is Hmm. and and that would it's, come back to haunt you when you were flogging copies of it in Lakeside. In five well, the years first time. copy I found in a charity shop, some I think a whole week after it had uh, come out. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, it was in Notting Hill, so I presume it was a review copy. It better have been. But when, when I when I saw it, I thought I better buy that, so I bought it for the two quid that it was. And I was really hoping I'd open the book and just it would say something like, "To Gavin, our love will last forever." Yours, Rosemary. Go. Didn't even last a week. <laughs> That would have been good, though, because this book has, has a, photogra- a photograph of you on not only the front cover and the back cover, but the spine. Yeah, that, uh, that, there have been some a... people who have uh, <laughs> commented on the fact that they almost didn't buy the book because of this ugly, golem-like photo on the spine of the book. Well, Stuart Lee gave me a, a, a lovely quote, uh, which was... Uh, 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 a book about the weird, wonderful, strange and terrible things in charity shops. How pleased Robin Ince will be to know that his book will be there soon. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I, didn't arrive just in time for this edition. It will be on the next edition. I mean, you have to be prepared for the fact that one day your book might end up in someone else's bad book club. Oh, yeah. Book. And do you know what? I don't, I don't think this is a great work of art. And I am, and I know... that. I, I'm not a salesman, and so I won't mind Clearly. saying that there are there are things in the book which I look back and I go, I, do you know what? I wish I hadn't written that chapter. And I'm going to be entirely honest. There are no. I'm going to stop I you had, before no, your publisher you, calls us. I, I had a a real sense of at one point, why should this book even exist? Would I read this book? 
I hope it's fun. I hope it's entertaining. I hope it's I hope it's not someone's lead read. You know, they they can read something good as well. But I I know I know the the, the shortfalls. Are, you know, I I haven't. It's a bit like I made a film called Razzle Dazzle a few years ago, uh, which I, I co-wrote with a friend of mine called Carolyn, and and I think it's not a bad film. Ben Miller stars in it, and I think it's very cheaply available on the internet nowadays, and it is definitely worth one ninety nine. And you know, I know it's not the Seventh Seal. I know it's not Battleship Potemkin. You know, I, I, it would be ridiculous if, I, if this doesn't end up getting the, the Man Booker Prize or the Orange Prize, which I've noticed is quite sexist. I will be very angry. But hopefully, it's entertaining. And it's. But the last thing I wanted to be was what worried me most was about it sneering and, and in any way belittling people because I would want the book to be fun in the same way that I find the books that I talk about being fun. They're entertainments. Despite that, though, and we're running out of time, so in the last five minutes we are going to do a little bit of sneering and yeah. let's talk about one of the chapters in the book that is probably most relevant to, to our radio show let's talk about the bad science mm. section and um we'll we'll have a bit of a pop at eric von daniken and the like shall we, well eric minutes? von daniken is is basically a circus barker he is a brilliant sales i mean i don't someone told me that eric von daniken when they were a kid came to their i think it was their library and uh, at that point, my friend was 12 years old, which is one of the, the, the key age to be going, maybe Spaceman did build everything, right? And he kind of went out and he said, uh, he said, so isn't this all just made up? And Eric Von Daniken, at that point, I don't know where he is now in his career, but he went, oh, of course. Yeah, he, he just, yeah. This is all... And what worries me now is that there are authors... I mean, Eric von Daniken did it very well, and, and it has a very interesting... I mean, I don't know if I mentioned it in the book, but there is a very interesting thing, which Eric von Daniken's books do have a kind of subtext, which is um, the early one, Chariots of the Gods, etc. There is a suggestion. How could these things exist? After all, the people who live there now are generally simple-minded folk, you know, with a faint A bit taint. dark. Right. Yeah, that, that is... And that's... Again, a culturally interesting thing, and um, I, I think you know he was a great. But then you had this huge barrage, and now we do have you know we have authors like Graham Hancock, and I I find it very interesting that these well, this is when you realise society doesn't move on that much. In the end, all of those fabulous science books that are out there, all of these I, I've just been involved in judging the Royal Society Book Prize, a hundred and forty you know science books I, I, that I was going through and just looking at some of the wonderful things. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, for instance, Marcus Chown has written a lovely book uh, um, we need to talk uh, about, about Kelvin. Kelvin, lovely pun, and uh, you know, and just it's a nice simple book about physics, and you think, why are people still going? This is about the monsters that may well have lived in Atlantis, and you go, well, and and in fact, it's something that Carl Sagan talks about in The Demon Haunted World is when there's a cab driver and he, and he says, uh, it's a bit weird because you like uh, me, you've got a name like uh, someone else, uh, someone famous. He goes, no, I am Carl Sagan. And he, and he goes, you're Carl Sagan? i I got to talk to you. i got to ask you all these questions. And then he asked me all these questions about Atlantis and UFOs. And, and all the time he's going, and this is a guy who had a mind, a great mind. He, he wanted to know things. By being distracted, this curveball of how much more fascinating is it if there's monsters that live there and there's strange. And that is, I mean, in one way, I almost wish I hadn't written that chapter because I'd like to have written a whole book about a mixture about colonists and also about these, why we fall for 
clearly false narratives that seem somehow more exciting than if you go back in your family tree, there's a tree. How, what is more exciting than that? To me, that is, you know, once you start reading science, you read about evolutionary biology and you start trying to, trying to understand particle physics, which I know I'm never, I'm going to die still not entirely under, well, not entirely, no one entirely under, you know, having a call. Um And so I, th- I think, yeah, that that's, it probably has too much of a serious... Uh, idea behind it. Well, the, an exact parallel of the Carl Sagan thing happened to me in a taxi on on Tuesday night, but unfortunately we're not going to have time to I'm talk so that. I'm so sorry that so that'll, that'll be, be well, very well, no, long. That'll be one is, for the pub. I, I think it's one for the next time when you come out with your next book that's all about that. It's well, never too late to write another book. That, what I'm really hoping to write is I want to write a book about um, discovering the world of science and what is around us with my two-and-a-half-year-old son because we've already started on a little adventure. He knows who Charles Darwin is, but uh, as I was saying, in the same way he knows who Thomas the Tank Engine is, it doesn't necessarily mean he understands combustion, etc. But uh, all it, we have, there's a lovely picture of Darwin with a little uh, baby uh, Darwin, little baby ape, and when he first saw that, he went, Baby Darwin! <laughs> Which is good for a two-year-old, you know. And so I want to do something where we end up looking at the Northern Lights. That sounds fantastic. Can't wait to have you back, and we can talk about that. Thank you so much, Robin. Buy my book, otherwise I won't be allowed to write the other one. (laughs) You've been listening to Little Atoms. You can find details of upcoming guests on our website, littleatoms.com. The Little Atoms podcast is available on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thank you.